Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our first of two best of 2022's interviews episodes. With these, the goal is to tell you what this interview meant to us on TPT, why we picked it for our best of episode, and then play a snippet of each interview. So I'll let you know the date we aired the originals. That way, you know, if you're interested, you can go back, check out the full thing. This podcast is my favorite project I have ever worked on. One of the best parts for me is getting to interview other people in this environmental or sustainability space. So check out the full interviews for more about each specific person or each specific organization. Today's snippets are going to focus on why. Something I've really tried to focus on lately personally is is finding my why, meaning finding the reason for why I do what I do. For me, that is, I want to make environmentalism and environmental news more accessible for everyone. The first question I ask in every interview is what each person's why is. And with that, it's time for today's show. First up, for our best of, we have Sandy Gibson of Better Place Forests from our February 21st episode. Sandy's interview came at a time where anyone who was not already aware of our own mortality kind of became aware. 2020 and 2021 were a lot to handle for many of us, and unfortunately the pandemic is not over around the world, even though here in the U.S. things feel a lot better. Sandy came on to talk about memorial forests and leaving a legacy of conservation behind after we're gone. And something that he said that really stood out to me was instead of a cemetery, people can come to Better Place Forest to visit their loved ones and see just this beautiful scene where they've picked their tree that's going to live on long after they're gone. After the interview, I really just couldn't stop thinking about my conversation with Sandy and when I listened back to it, I could not stop crying. <laughs> I had a friend text me that he also cried while he was listening to it. And it wasn't that the conversation was sad. It was more that it was beautiful and uplifting. It really gave me a new perspective on conservation and what we leave behind when we are no longer here. Enjoy. What first got you interested in sustainability or environmentalism as a whole? Okay, well, let me give you the kind of high-level overview of Better Place Forests, and then I'll get into kind of I'll give, give you the what, how, and why. Uh, so, as you said, we're a sustainable alternative to traditional cemeteries for families who choose cremation. So, the idea there is that for families who are choosing cremation, uh, they're often choosing more of a celebration of life. Sometimes they're having a traditional funeral. Afterwards, they're wondering what to do with those ashes. And when they choose a memorial tree in one of our conservation areas, they are buying that tree's dedication rights and they are coming with their ashes and hosting a spreading ceremony in that forest where they return the ashes of the person they love back to the earth. 
and there's a permanent marker in front of that tree. And that is the place similar to, to a grave that people can come back and the people remember. How it works is that 80% of baby boomers are planning to choose cremation, but they're typically not pre-purchasing in cemeteries the way that their parents and grandparents did. And that's not because people have lost a need for a sense of place or a need for ritual. People still want ritual for their families as part of that goodbye process. But what they're saying is they want something that's different than the rituals that they know. So they're often looking at cemeteries and saying that doesn't fit what I want because they want something more natural. Okay. Or they want something more beautiful or they want something more affordable. Uh, and then why we started the business was uh, I've always been an entrepreneur since I was in college. I uh, ran a few software companies before this. And I really wanted to do something that felt a little more meaningful to me. Uh, my co-founder and COO, Brad Milne, and I were talking about different ideas. And uh, there was a book that I'd read called Cradle to Cradle. And it was one of the first books to promote the idea of kind of sustainable design and the idea that you can create a business model which has positive externalities or at least which doesn't have negative externalities. And what I mean by that as an example was they at one point went in and they, they redesigned a factory in Germany. And originally there was a problem with the factory, which was that it took in river water and then it put out wastewater. And the town around it was like, we don't want this wastewater in our river. This is bad. Can you redesign this process? And they looked at that and they said, maybe we could design it as a, as a closed loop where they didn't use fresh river water. They used uh, distilled water. And what they found is by redesigning that factory process, they actually ended up with a better functioning factory because the water quality was always consistent, whereas river water changes in terms of its chemical makeup. So they realized by taking a different approach to design, they could actually create a better business that had no negative environmental impact. So we were very in, into the idea of finding businesses that had a positive externality, the businesses that, you know, the customer was buying a product that actually made the world better. Okay. The idea of, of graves, of trees instead of tombstones, I always loved. You know, there's been a number of companies that have tried biodegradable urns, uh, proposed biodegradable caskets. And Brad had one day sent me an article on this. And I remember I woke up, it was a Saturday morning and I texted him back and I said, oh, this crap, like this is not a business. Yeah. Like, there's just no way yeah. this is going to work. There's no way you could sell these profitably. And more importantly, where are you going to put that urn? And I was a little harsh and cynical, but uh, you know, in, in my life experience, there are not a lot of things that are permanent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I kind of said, this would never work. Five days later, uh, it was my mom's birthday uh, 20 years after she died. And when I was 10, my father died of a stroke unexpectedly. And we had to go to the cemetery and buy a, buy a family plot. And, you know, the only, it was really important to my mom that we had a family plot. There were six burial plots and we could all be there together. Uh, but, you know, the only space we could find that was still affordable was right beside the street. So it was very much a place you didn't really want. Gotcha. But it was important to her that you could all be together. A year later, my mom died of cancer. So for me, my whole life, I've been going back to their cemetery. Um, and I've always understood that, like, you, it's really important to me to have that place to go back to, but I didn't like it. And so it was March 1st, 2015. I was at my mom's grave. Uh, and I remember just standing there and it's this big, shiny black tombstone, polished granite. So you can see the cars parked behind you or driving behind you. And it's very visually not what you want. Um, and I was literally just there like, God, I don't like this place. And then a, this, the bus stopped at the bus stop right by it. And it's a loud, you know, air brake screeching sound yeah <laughs> like god there's got to be a better place than this and i actually walked into the cemetery and called up brad and i said 
we're going to do that tree thing, but we're going to, we're going to own the land. Uh, we're going to create the place. Cause I realized in that moment that I wanted a beautiful place to go to and a beautiful place to remember. Mm-hmm. And that was more important than to me, the fact that it was close to my home. Next up, we have James Leitner of Mission Clean Water from our May 23rd episode. James has been one of my very close friends since my freshman year of college in 2013. He was two years ahead of me at the University of Delaware and quickly became someone that I admired. And how could you not? James currently spends his time working in a rock climbing gym while also working full-time for his nonprofit Mission Clean Water. As if that wasn't enough, most of the fundraisers that Mission Clean Water puts on include some sort of extremely demanding physical challenge. So James is constantly working, training to be able to run these ultra marathons, training to climb the equivalent of Mount Everest, which he worked on this month, or sleeping. He is one of the busiest people I know, but you would never know it by speaking to him because he somehow always makes time for his people. This interview was a lot of fun where we got to talk about this summer's fundraiser for Mission Clean Water. Hope you like it. What first got you interested in environmentalism and sustainability? Ooh, uh, environmental sustainability and everything. I think it all really kind of began. So I grew up in a town called Scottish Plains, New Jersey, and I kind of just describe it as like stereotypical suburbia, you know, commuter to New York City lifestyle. And I think it all really kind of started towards the end of my high school career, I guess you can say, junior and senior year, when a lot of the curriculum began to kind of switch towards studying global issues as well as environmental issues. And that kind of began sparking the interest. And I think also at that time, I was kind of going through a change of like, all right, I got to pick a college degree. Do I want to go like the accounting route or do I want to go the environmental route and pick some sort of wishy-washy major of combining those, but then towards college just kind of went, all right, environmental science. Gotcha. So how did you take that idea and turn it into what you're doing today with Mission Clean Water? Where, where did that start? And, you know, maybe where did your passion for clean water itself come in? The passion for clean water kind of really all starts at the very beginning. And it was really just kind of like one of those shell shock kind of light bulb moments. Uh, And I wish it was a more crazier story, but it's very simply that junior year of high school in a class called Global Perspectives, you were told to research food, water, or energy, and why is it a global issue? And I knew Mm -hmm. a decent decent bit about food as well as energy, so renewables and non-renewables, but water was something I had no idea about. And this was in 2010. And when I began doing that research and learned that a billion people plus in the world don't have access to clean water and more than 2 billion don't have access to a toilet. I was like, I just couldn't fathom that fact. And it kind of blew me away for the next week plus months plus just began researching and learning as much as possible. And that honestly completely changed the trajectory of my life. Last up, definitely more recent. We have Marshall Conley of slow from November 28th. This was such a cool interview for me. Sometimes when speaking with people my age, we end up leading that conversation to the system is so broken and the environment is suffering from it. And I feel like we never got there with Marshall because he, like so many other young people, is actively trying to make a difference. 
The conversation was fun. I learned a lot about sustainable fashion and honestly just felt immediately comfortable talking to someone about an industry that I really don't know as much about. His company works on making the fashion industry more inclusive and more sustainable with jeans that are meant to last and fit all body types. I checked out their website immediately after the interview. Still need to send them in my measurements so I can get a pair, but I am so excited to start rocking slow jeans in 2023. And let's get to it. What first got you interested in environmentalism and sustainability as a whole? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's a it's a pretty simple origin story. I'm from Michigan, um, originally Michigan in the United States. Um, we're a massive freshwater state. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by the Great Lakes. Um, so growing up, my whole life, uh, you know, I have these beautiful natural resources around me. I love the lakes, love um, you know, sailing, swimming, um, anything you can do in freshwater. Um, but you know, over time, I've watched those natural resources, you know, really get stripped away, polluted, removed, replaced, and wasted. Um, you know, Nestle just pumping water out of the Great yeah. Lakes. You know, I've heard that story. Um, we had an awesome governor a couple of years ago who tried rerouting our freshwater supply, Flint water. Um, same governor, you know, neglected some dams, led to some floods. Um, you know, and this is as I'm growing up and watching all this unfold around me. This is just my home state. You know, not just not only you know I'm seeing online things way worse. You know, fires out west hurricanes, you know, natural disasters all over the place. Um, so the real question is like, how can anyone live in the same world that I have and not be obsessed with environmentalism right now? It's, yeah. it's beyond me, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting, especially for people of our age, our generation, where, you know, we, we seem to be very informed about these topics. And part of the good part of social media has been we get these stories all the time of, you know, wildfires breaking out, water rights being stripped away from people. And it's daunting. It's extremely intimidating and frankly, very upsetting. It's also given us the tools where we are so informed and our generation is so hyper-focused on how do we fix that? So, you know, social media has a lot of things wrong with it, but that, that I think is one of the good things where, like you said, how could you not care? How could you not want to be involved seeing this firsthand? Right. And honestly, you know, I don't I don't want to get too political with it, but I don't I just don't see how it's not like, a, you know, in the US, you know, and how it's not a bipartisan issue. Like, yeah, if, even if you don't believe in like climate change or you don't believe in global warming, you know, you don't have to believe in those things to want to preserve something you appreciate. And like, yeah, on either side of the aisle, we have lots of things to appreciate about nature. There's not a person, you know, there's very few people who just like don't like the natural world. Yeah. So, regardless of whether you're, you know, climate denier or not, like it just makes sense to preserve these things. And when you see bad things happening, like why not get in a preventative mindset? And that will do it for today's episode. Make sure to tune in next week for another best of episode. We're going to be back with our first new episode of the year on Friday, January 6th. In the meantime, for the planet today, I am Matt Norton. See you next week.